reading is from the book of Esther, beginning at chapter 4. When Mordecai learned all that had been done, Mordecai rent his clothes and put on sackcloth and ashes and went out into the midst of the city, wailing with a loud and bitter cry. He went up to the entrance of the king's gate, for no one might enter the king's gate clothed with sackcloth. And in every province, wherever the king's command and his decree came, there was great mourning among the Jews with fasting and weeping and lamenting. And most of them lay in sackcloth and ashes. When Esther's maids and her eunuchs came and told her, the queen was deeply distressed. She sent garments to clothe Mordecai so that he might take off his sackcloth, but he would not accept them. Then Esther called for Hathak, one of the king's eunuchs, who had been appointed to attend her, and ordered him to go to Mordecai to learn what this was and why it was. Hathak went out to Mordecai in the open square of the city in front of the king's gate. And Mordecai told him all that had happened to him and the exact sum of money that Haman had promised to pay into the king's treasuries for the destruction of the Jews. Mordecai also gave him a copy of the written letter issued in Susa for their destruction that he might show it to Esther and explain it to her and charge her to go to the king to make supplication to him and entreat him for her people. And Hathak went and told Esther what Mordecai had said. Then Esther spoke to Hathak and gave him a message for Mordecai saying, all the king's servants and the people of the king's provinces know that if any man or woman goes to the king inside the inner court without being called, there is but one law, all alike are to be put to death, except the one to whom the king holds out the golden scepter, that he may live. And I have not been called to come into the king these 30 days. So they told Mordecai what Esther had said. Then Mordecai told them to return answer to Esther. Think not that in the king's palace you will escape any more than all the other Jews. For if you keep silence at such a time as this, relief and deliverance will arise for the Jews from somewhere else, and you and your father's house shall perish. And who knows whether you have not come to the kingdom for such a time as this. Then Esther told them to reply to Mordecai, go, get, go gather all the Jews to be found in Susa and hold a fast on my behalf and neither eat nor drink for three days, night or day. I and my maids will also fast as you do. Then I will go to the king, though it is against the law, and if I perish, I perish. Mordecai then went away 
He did everything as Esther had ordered him. This is the word of the Lord. Now I presume everybody here has at home a copy of the St. James calendar hanging on your wall. I don't know if I need to show, ask for a show of hands on that, but if you don't have one, talk to Jim Kushner back there. He will get you one for a small price. I think it's going half price now, aren't they? But if you are an assiduous reader of the St. James calendar, you know that tonight at sundown, and that we've already had sundown, begins the 14th day of the month Adar in the Jewish calendar. This to say, tonight is the beginning of the Feast of Purim which commemorates the deliverance of the Jewish people from the ancient Persian Empire, in the ancient Persian Empire, from destruction in the wake of a plot by Haman, a story recorded in the book of Esther. According to the Talmud, Esther is the last of the 24 books of the Tanakh, the Hebrew Bible. Appears in the last part, the, the Ach, the Kedubim, the writings. Purim is the Hebrew word for lots or dice. I think a modern translation would be bingo. I don't know. But it's a the instruments of, of chance. What does this name have to do with the character of Esther? Esther, the heroine of the book, was a quiet lady. When I think of Esther, I think of Lord Byron. She walks in beauty like the night. That's actually, I think, very apropos. She walks in beauty like the night. You'll see why in a moment. Not only did she refrain from revealing her people and her family to King Ahasuerus, she seems not to have said very much about anything. Her recorded words fill fewer than a dozen verses of the Bible. Esther appears, rather, as a quiet and lovely presence. She walks in beauty like the night. She's like the stars that go in the heavens. Indeed, the aptness of this simile is suggested by the etymology that associates Esther with the heavens. Her name in Hebrew is Hadassah. But the name by which she's better known relates her to the Babylonian sky goddess 
Ishtar, a name related to the Persian word shitar, meaning star. All these words are related, including the English word star. Esther's name is likewise associated with the Greek noun for star, ostron, as well as the equivalent Latin words, estrum and stellos. And while we're on the subject, it's worth mentioning the English verb stare, because stare, as Robert Frost's poem reminds us, is what stars do. Stars stare. That's the nature of stars. They stare. Given the content and themes of the book of Esther, these etymological considerations are far from idle. First, the book's setting is Persia, where the religion, until the Muslim invasions more than a thousand years later, the religion was that of Zoroaster, the Greek name of the philosopher Zarathustra, also Speke. The Greek form of his name includes astron, meaning, as we have seen, star. And reminding us that a great reliance on the reading of the stars was a major characteristic of religion in that part of the world. You see, over that part of the world, there's not much to see during the day. It's all sand. But when the sun goes down, there's a lot to see. Everything becomes very interesting. It's not like Chicago. There's plenty to see during the day. At night, you can't see anything. And who would want to? Throughout Persia, there was a widespread persuasion that events in this world were somehow fixed by the positions of the heavenly bodies. That is to say, everything was predestined in heaven, all assigned by the stars. I still think people must believe that, otherwise I don't know why the daily paper would have your sign for the day and all the things that are supposed to happen if you were born on this sign. In fact, I think there are more people who take that seriously now than did in Persia. Everything was predestined in heaven. Classical Persian philosophy was shot through with astrology and theories of determinism. In fact, you had in Persia specialists in this matter who really studied the stars. They were called magi. They sometimes made long journeys to find out where a star might lead. Now, the Bible certainly does not teach astrology. And the Bible most emphatically does not say that everything is predetermined in a way that precludes the freedom of human choice. Yet, the book of Esther does concern itself with a sense of the concealed forces that influence the course of history in a mysterious fashion. Some of these hidden forces that influence history are satanic. 
another Persian word designating a Persian divinity which is found in the books of Job and Zechariah as well as the New Testament. These forces involve this, this prince of the power of the air, what Ephesians call spiritual wickedness in high places. That is at work. But God is also at work secretly within the decisions of history. And this truth is known as the doctrine of divine providence. Now, the book of Esther presents both kinds of activity, evil and good. Haman is the agent, agent of an evil force. Esther is the instrument of God. And God's active presence is so concealed that in the Hebrew text of the book of Esther, God is never named nor referred to. That's how much he is a hidden God. Let's take them in order. First, Haman. Haman, who employed the rigidity of the Persian legal system to fix the Jews once and for all, is called the final solution. What are we going to do about the problem of the Jews? Well, Haman had the final solution. He had it all fixed in Persian law that every single Jew in the Persian Empire, that is to say, every single Jew in the world, because all the Jews lived between the Danube River and the Indus River, it's a big space. If all the Jews in there were killed, that would be the end of the Jews. It's the final solution. In the book of Esther, as in the book of Daniel, one was obliged to deal with what were called the laws of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be changed. Thus, after Haman had, had arranged a royal decree ordering the destruction of the Jews, even the emperor was powerless to alter it. You get that same theme running through the book of Daniel, don't you? The laws, and the, the king makes a decree and said, oh gosh, you made a mistake, but he can't change it. But the laws of the Persians, the Medes, could not be changed. I, I know some Orthodox who function under that rule. <laughs> the date of that planned destruction was determined by the casting of dice, a die in Persian, it's called a pur. In Hebrew, it's pluralized to purim. In consulting these instruments of divination, in order to determine the destruction of the Jews, Haman and his henchmen become the agents of evil forces. These latter, too, remain unnamed. Now, in our own culture, dice are thought of as instruments of chance. But you see, the ancient Persians were Calvinists. There was no such thing as chance. The Persian rolled dice 
precisely because he did not believe in chance. So however it came out, that was the divine will, which is associated with the laws of the Medes and the Persians. The verdict of the dice was inevitable and revealed some deeper purpose hidden from human ken. Whatever the dice indicated was bound to occur. There's Haman. Then along comes Star Lady, Esther. She's the instrument of the hidden God who suddenly worked to bring about his own purposes in the world. Now, in the book of Esther, events appear to be accidental. But the biblical writer knows better. They're not accidental. And so do we, his readers. We perceived it was no accident that Esther won the beauty contest with which the book begins. That's always a way to get, you want to get interest going in a book, start with a beauty contest, everybody will read it. But it was no accident that Esther won the beauty contest. Nor was it by chance that Ahasuerus, the emperor, could not sleep one night. Remember, he was, he was restless. He, he, he was suffering from insomnia. So he asked for something really boring to read. And they brought him the history of Persia. He's studying the Persian archives, and he discovers the name of Mordecai. Interesting. It was hardly accidental that Haman fell on Esther's bed just as the king walked in the room. Nor was it mere happenstance that that unwitting scoundrel just happened to have built a big scaffolding to hang Mordecai. How convenient. He has a scaffolding there with which he will, from which he would be hanged. He prepared, in other words, a gallows for his own neck. The text we read tonight has this quotation from Mordecai. He asked, who knows? Who knows? He says this in his, mess, his written message to Esther. Who knows whether you have come to the kingdom for such a time as this? This is the whole spirit of the book of Esther. Who knows? There are things going on. God is writing a story. The devil is writing a story, sure. The devil has his narrative. But God is writing a story. Who knows if this is supposed to be the next chapter? Esther's shrewd kinsman suspected that there was more transpiring than even the staring eye was able to discern. <clears throat> 